Welcome, everybody. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, special shout out to, to newcomers or visitors. If, if this is one of your first few times here, we are so blessed that you are here to join us. I hope that you enjoy um, not only the teaching, but even more than that, the fellowship of this family. It's so important to us that we've spent so much time trying to, to build a, a a feeling of family and of community. It's it, we want you to feel welcome here. So after service, uh, Pastor Gabe said, you know, you can if you're a visitor, let us know you're here. But we'd love to connect with you. We'll be walking around out in the foyer. We want to connect with you, and obviously, then you can connect with each other as well. Uh, but let's get into our series here without uh, further ado, because um, my my notes and what I want to talk about just gets longer every week. And so for those of you who think I already preach too fast, I'm sorry in advance. For those of you uh, who might be visiting, I want to let you know this isn't one of those where you'll be able to like doze off and snooze halfway and uh, we still kind of get the gist of what he's talking about. So we need to, we need to get going here. So uh, again, welcome. We're in a series on spiritual warfare. And it's important to talk about spiritual warfare because... It's real. We can't, as Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in the crosshairs of the enemy, and you can't just pretend like it doesn't happen. You can't pretend like it all happens to somebody else because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I read that scripture or quote that scripture every single week because it's so important, because it's real. And so as we've gone through this series, we've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about the role of, of prayer in spiritual warfare. We've talked about angels and demons and, and who they are and what their role is, how this thing even started about spiritual warfare, the biblical basis for spiritual warfare in general. We talked about, again, the role of prophetic, the role of prayer. If you've missed any of those messages, I want to encourage you to go back. We podcast so you can get them on Google Play or iTunes or you can just go to our website, discoverycommunity.church, and just listen right through the website. You can do that. But I encourage you to try and listen to as many of the messages as you can. The reason I do that is because this is a topic that is so rife with misunderstanding. Half information or half truths or, or just flat wrong information. And the devil uses that lack of information or that confusion, if you will, to create problems to keep you defenseless, to keep you on the sideline of a battle that we're very much called to be a part of. So that is the gist of this message. So last week we learned that we have been given the very power of God through delegation by Jesus Christ to do battle in the spiritual realms. Talked about using this term, bless you, of power of attorney. Power of attorney, the, the, the kingdom of heaven works on legal principles. And so we have really been given power of attorney. It doesn't say power of attorney in the Bible anywhere, but this is the concept, the principle that we operate by. Jesus delegated his authority to us over the spiritual realms. So we learn that all we need to have access to that power is to be in alignment with God's plan and purposes. Be a follower of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, of course, but then to be in alignment with God and his plans and purposes. And the very last scripture that I read last week, if you remember, it was from James. I'll read it again to you. Actually, we have it on screen. James 4, 7. Now, James, the book of James is written by Jesus' half-brother. It was also the very first of the New Testament books to be written. Okay, So very shortly after Jesus' ministry, Jesus' own half-brother felt the need to, to write this, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This isn't a new thing. Spiritual warfare isn't something that's just happened recently. It's been going on ever since the very beginning. It's important to look where it says submit therefore to God. Submit therefore to God is not submit to somebody who's more powerful than you, got you in a headlock, and he's going to crank down until you say, I give, I give. You're not giving in. You're placing yourself in alignment with God. That's what that is. You are voluntarily placing yourself in alignment with God and his plans and his purposes for you. And the word is full of scripture that talks about the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Okay, tons of them. Let me read a couple to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. 
For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you future and a hope. Okay, many of us have heard that one before. Here's another one that you've probably heard before, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Okay, and there's many, many, many more. We are assured If you believe the Bible and you accept it as the word of God, then we are assured again and again and again that God has a plan for us. Now, this is an overall corporate plan for good, an overall plan that he has something for you. But what's individual is that something. Everybody has something, a plan that God prepared for you from before you were born. But what is that specific something that he has for you. Okay, we also know that that's true, that he has that thing for you. The way to know what that is is to put yourself in alignment with God. Be a follower of Jesus so that you have the Holy Spirit and you can hear directly that word of God. Now, Scripture says we walk in that plan by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, so it's not what you see in front of you. That should guide your steps. It's faith. What is faith? Anybody remember what we taught about what faith is? Faith is hearing from God. You can't have faith unless you hear from God, that rhema word spoken directly to you. And that's the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 10, 17. We have this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now leave that up there for just a second. Faith comes from hearing. You get faith. You receive faith. Okay, it's a gift from God. But you receive that, the fullness of that, by hearing from from hearing from Christ. Now, hearing by the word of Christ, that word, word, there's two versions of the word, word, if you will. That's awkward. Two versions of the word, word. First one is the logos word, the written word that's in the Bible. That's where we get promises like, I have plans for you. Plans for good and not for evil. That's where we get those kind of promises. Those are, those are steadfast promises for all of us. Then, though, there's the other kind of word. The word this refers to is that rhema word. That rhema word is the spoken word of the Holy Spirit directly to you. That's what that means. So, in other words, we receive this kind of faith by listening to the Holy Spirit and walking in his footsteps. That's what that means. And that's what we should be, should be looking for, trying for. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to that rhema word. That rhema word that will guide our very footsteps. But what if you have trouble hearing that word? We know that there is a word. We know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit deposited in you. Therefore, you have access to hear from the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, wanting to guide our very footsteps. But what if you can't hear? What if you're having a hard time hearing? Something's, something's in the way. It's not enough to just pray for guidance. You have to be able to hear. Remember, prayer, prayer again is simply talking to God, right? Prayer is talking to God, but talking is a two-way conversation. It has to go both ways. Remember in James 5.16, it says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is the important part of this scripture. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer. I want to point something out to you. First of all, righteous man. Okay, we know that that's, I'm not going to focus on that. What I'm going to focus on is effective and accomplish much. Those two words actually in the Greek both are one thought. Okay, we split them into two ends of a sentence to make it flow in English. But it's really one thought. And that word in Greek translates as energeo. It's kind of spelled like energy with an O at the end. Energeo. Energeo, what that means it's a flow of energy. That's what that means. Now, we think of it as in terms of electrical energy. What it was written as here is as in a current of a river. So what he's saying is that the effective prayer of a righteous man will energize 
energy, like, a, like the flow of a river, an unstoppable force. Now, it's unstoppable, but it can be interfered with. Think about a river in terms of, if this is the flow of a river, you have a rushing, raging river like we've got up in the high country a lot right now. You get a bunch of, of trees, branches, boulders, mudslides, things that clog that river. That river is still flowing. It is still an unstoppable force, but it's going to disperse and it will find its way, much like the Holy Spirit. However, that flow, that uninterrupted flow gets messed with. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for those things that interrupt the flow of the Holy Spirit's energy through us. Okay? That's what we're looking for, those things that interrupt that flow. Typically, those things come from the demonic. Okay? And we're going to talk about some of that stuff right now. So these things that can interfere with the flow, okay, there's demonic noise. Demonic noise in terms of the little picture of the angel, the devil sitting on your shoulder whispering to you. It could just be distraction, anything that keeps you. The, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, but you're having a hard time hearing because of these other voices in your head. Some of these voices come from strongholds. Strongholds are another thing that we're going to talk about that can interfere with you hearing correctly. Okay, another one is unrepentant sin in our lives. Unrepentant sin in our lives can interfere with us being able to hear clearly from the Holy Spirit. So again, there's that connection that gets interfered with this right here. That specific uh, idea of the interference with the connection is where the role of deliverance in spiritual warfare comes in. So we're going to talk about deliverance today. Now when I talk about deliverance, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Those of you who laughed or giving away your age, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's not the kind of deliverance we're going to be talking about here today. So everybody is safe. What about this, though? Do you think about this? This is a, an old Renaissance painting, but this might be more of an accurate depiction, although one that's pretty much fear-based on deliverance, right? And then we have movies like the exorcist and things like that, where you picture the holy water and the crucifix and things like that. He's got the holy water. He's got the crucifix. He's got all the demons over the subject there. So these are some of the things that we think of, neither of which are entirely accurate. So that's why I want to talk about this. You can take that down. We're going to kind of dispel some of those things. Deliverance is partly about battling demons, but it's not all about battling demons. Some of it is a very battle within ourselves, and that's what we're going to talk about here. The ministry of deliverance is about bringing spiritual victory and freedom to those who are in bondage. And I'm going to talk about the different elements of that. So it can be casting out demons. It can be repenting of sin. Most importantly, sin that you might be blind to. Sin that you're operating in that you may not even realize you are. That's an important distinction. Breaking strongholds, accepting and giving forgiveness are both very important parts of the process of deliverance. This is the ministry, in fact, of Jesus Christ on earth. It's the one that the prophet Isaiah uh, wrote about back in, we call it Isaiah 61.1. To him, it was a letter that he wrote, but the prophet Isaiah foretold of Jesus as Messiah bringing this this deliverance to the captives. And Jesus himself affirmed it, Luke 4.18. Now, those of you who don't know, you can put that Luke 4.18 up there. I use the New American Standard Version, and when it's in all caps, that means it's referring to Old Testament Scripture. But this is Jesus himself speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. This was the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. And then he sent us to continue that proclamation of freedom. He gave us that authority again to continue proclaiming freedom. John 20, 21 says, So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. 
So we have been given that task to carry forth that proclamation of freedom and deliverance to the captives. So now let's take a look at all these different elements of biblical deliverance. Now I call it biblical deliverance because there is some controversy on what deliverance is, what it isn't. Some people claim that deliverance is not biblical at all, while many others say that it is. Okay, so I want to be clear on what we're talking about here. We're going to go down and I'm going to give you the elements of deliverance and we're going to we're going to show you how scripture supports that process of deliverance. Okay, the very first one, casting out demons. Casting out demons is an important element of deliverance and deliverance ministry. Okay, the first scripture I've got here then is Luke 4, 33 to 35. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. This is Jesus himself confronting, directly confronting, having, having words with a demon. So we know that that kind of confrontation does happen. Now, let's go back to the very first, if we could, verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed. I want to point out something here. In the synagogue, he's talking about a Jew. Okay, Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's teaching in the synagogue, but he's teaching to Jews. This person and a lot of these people aren't followers of Jesus yet. He's just a prophet to them, and they're listening to him. But where it says a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, a Christian cannot be possessed. I want to make that clear. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to him. The Father has given you to Jesus. You belong to him and you cannot be possessed. This is talking about a man who doesn't know Jesus yet, and he's defenseless against that. So he, he has been possessed, but by Jesus' authority, he cancels out and drives out this demon. So this is a biblical concept. We see it happening all the time. Christians cannot be possessed, but as a Christian, we can give the devil and his demons legal right to enter us. That's right, I said, enter us. It's not a matter of owning you. It's like the difference between owning a home and renting a home. We can give legal authority to demons to rent out your living room, change your furniture around and live there. We can do that. How do we do this? There are many ways that we can do this. We call it in deliverance ministry, we call it opening a door. We can do this, number one, by willful disobedience. By knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong, knowing what the word of God says, and willfully doing the opposite. We see this in scripture. The story is uh, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples prior to, prior to his crucifixion. And Judas has gone out and made a deal to betray Jesus. Okay, most of us know that story. Judas has gone out, made the deal. He has set wheels in motion. He's been paid. He has made plans. He's done all kinds of stuff in secret behind Jesus' back to betray him. And then we find ourselves in the upper room, and Jesus is saying, his disciples are saying, who? Who's going who's gonna to betray you? And Jesus says, remember, it's the one to whom I give this bread. Okay, so that's where we find ourselves then at the beginning of this scripture. John 13, 27, I'll just read it to you. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. I want you to see that. Right up until that point, Judas had made plans. He had gone down that path. He had set wheels in motion. But at that moment where his Lord and Savior was standing in front of him saying, are you going to take it? You know what you've done. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Are you going to take this morsel? Judas reaches out and takes that morsel. And at that point, Satan entered into him. That's the choice that we have to make, that willful disobedience to say, I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. This is where we find ourselves. The next type is just unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin that we operate in. First John, uh, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 
If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What's another name for Jesus? The truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus will do that. But anything we do willfully, that is in opposition to God's word for us, God's will for us, that is unrepentant sin. We know it's wrong. We do it anyway. Some examples of this. Lust, anger, greed, fascination with the occult or witchcraft, addictions, false idols. These are things that the enemy uses against us, and we so often say, I know it's wrong, but I can control it. I know it's wrong, but it's not hurting anybody. I know it's wrong, but nobody else knows. These are those things that we operate in willfully that we know are against the word of God. And when we operate in unrepentant sin, we are opening a door wide open for a demon to come into our living room. So what we're going to do is as we go through these elements, we're going to pray. And we're going to cancel those spirits. Would you pray with me? Father God, we repent of our sin. We repent of the belief that somehow we can keep these things hidden, that we can somehow control these things that are in opposition to your very word and your heart for us. Lord, we repent of everything we have done that does not give you honor. And Lord, we will set aside those. We cancel the authority of the demons that we have allowed into our lives through this unrepentant sin. And we ask for your covering and your blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Strongholds are another way. Strongholds are another way that we let the enemy influence our lives. A stronghold can be any mindset that is contrary to God's word. Really at its base level, that's what a stronghold is any mindset that's contrary to God's word. Now, that can be in two different forms, okay? Two different forms. Number one, it can be where your view of God is wrong, where you look at God as angry, as judgmental, as uncaring, as distant. That's one kind of stronghold. The other kind of stronghold is where you look at yourself wrong. You see yourself through this lens of judgment and, and failure. And you see what's wrong with you, not what God said is right with you. So in regards to the first one, do you see God as angry and dissatisfied with you? Is the Bible, is, is this very word of God, is this an impossible book of rules that you will never be able to live up to? God has essentially set you up for failure because there's no way that you could live up to that book of rules. If that's your view of God, then your view is being clouded by lies. And that's where a stronghold comes in. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. God loves you with an everlasting love. It's not judgment. We need to realize that, but that's where the stronghold comes in. John 3, 16, here's another scripture about how much Father God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is how much God loves you. And anything that you're hearing or thinking to the contrary is a lie from Satan and his demons. This is how much God loves you. The other thing is, do you think that maybe you're flawed beyond saving? That you're too far gone, there's, there's too much wrong with you. How could God possibly love you, much less want to save you? You can take that scripture down, guys. 
Does your internal narrative speak only of disappointment? These self-curses that we speak over ourselves. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't go to church enough. You're not thin enough. You're not tall enough. You're not in shape enough. You're not successful enough. You're not loved enough. These are the things that we can speak over ourselves. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death in the very power of your tongue, the words we speak over ourselves. And then Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice Jesus Christ made you perfect There is no flaw to be found in you. Don't speak it over yourself. Let's pray together. Repentance over believing that lie. Father God, we first of all, we repent of ever believing the lie that we aren't important enough for you to pay attention to. That somehow or another, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was not enough to cover how broken we are. We repent of ever believing that lie, and we repent of speaking words of death over ourselves. Your perfect creation, your creation that Jesus gave himself to wash clean from everything we've ever done and ever could do. In essence, we reject the gospel when we don't believe that about ourselves. And so, Father, we repent of that, and we believe the truth that we are perfect in your sight, made blameless by Jesus Christ, and that you don't make mistakes. Father, we accept your love, and we see ourselves the way you see us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another thing that we can do to allow the enemy in is by not accepting forgiveness. By not accepting forgiveness. Do you feel unworthy And I mentioned it before, but do you feel unworthy of what Jesus did for you? Do you feel unworthy of accepting the forgiveness of your neighbor, of your spouse? So many times we are given that forgiveness and we won't accept it because we think there's some price that we have yet to pay. Jesus paid that price. I repeat it because it's important. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. There's nothing you need to do because there's nothing you could possibly do. You couldn't work for it. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough to figure out a way to receive this grace by yourself. It is a gift from God. And your contribution to the whole thing is just to accept it. That's all the smarter you have to be. Just say yes to the gift that's laid out in front of you. That's what that means. Let's pray over that one again. Father God, we repent of feeling unworthy for the love of our, of our neighbor, our spouse, our friends, and most of all, of, an, of a loving God. We repent of not seeing ourselves the way that you see us and listening more to the lies of the enemy than to your truth. Father, we thank you for who you are and we accept who we are in you. Help us to walk in the fullness of who we are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, another way about it involves forgiveness is releasing offense or forgiving someone else. This may well be the biggest and and one of the most important ways that we can allow the enemy in and allow that current flow of the rhema word of God to be interrupted is by harboring unforgiveness. It's more important than you might think. Let me give you a couple illustrations. First of all, a question. Is it okay to be offended by someone. Is it? What if it's totally justified? What if somebody, without question, without fail, you could interview 100 people and all 100 would say, oh yeah, that person offended you. Is it okay to be offended? What about repeat offenders? What if they do it again and again and again? Well, I forgave them the first time, but come on. 
How many times? Is anybody good at math? <laughs> you guys are all trying to do the math. You're smarter than me. You're smarter than me. Matthew 18, 21, 22. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Seven whole times? I've been offended seven times today. And I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but you know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Yeah. That's good. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. This isn't the number we're striving for. So you don't keep your journal and go, okay, there's one more, one more, and that's it. He's saying, we don't have that luxury. We are not permitted to not forgive. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. Here's more of what Jesus says about forgiving. Anybody ever heard? It's called the parable of the debtor. It's a long section of scripture, so I'm gonna read some of it to you. I'm gonna paraphrase the middle. Okay, it's Matthew 18, 23 to 35. I urge you to read it for yourself if you want to see the fullness of this scripture. But it starts out like this. This is Jesus teaching a parable. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. One talent was a day's wages. So that's a lot of money that was owed to him. But since he didn't have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife, and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before the Lord, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him from the debt. That's part one. Part two, the slave leaves that encounter, having been freed of that debt having been saved from, from prison, probably, and he immediately runs into somebody who owes him some money. In this case, the word says it's 100 denarii, which, is a, which isn't a reasonably payable debt. And he says, he says, pay me back what you owe. And the person says, I can't, I don't have it. So then he becomes angry and says, I'm gonna have you thrown in jail refusing to forgive the debt. Well, word of this encounter gets back to the original king. And this is where we pick up in verse 34. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. It's not okay to not forgive there is never a justification for us to not forgive someone who has wronged us. Then here's a scripture that many people know. Have you heard of this thing? It's called the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. There are many versions of it depending on the, on the, the translation that you read. But let's, let's just speak this aloud together. Those of you who know it, if you don't know it, you can read along Matthew 6, 9 to 13 says this, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, that's a wonderful prayer. The very next two verses, Jesus puts a punctuation mark on this prayer. Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Church, that's a continuation of the Lord's prayer. He says, this is how you pray, but... You need to forgive as you have been forgiven. This is the crux of the gospel. You have been forgiven. 
we need to pass on that forgiveness. It is not okay for us to not forgive. Let's pray repentance over our unforgiveness. Father God, we know that there are people who we perceive as having wronged us. And Lord, we ask you right now to just highlight those people to us. Show us a face, give us a name, remind us of somebody that we've been harboring offense to that we need to forgive. So Father, we take this person or these people, whoever it is, Lord, and we lift them up to you and we ask that you bless them. We release all unforgiveness. Judgment does not belong to us. We forgive as you have forgiven us. Father, we repent of judgment. We ask for your blessing and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. The last way that I want to talk about tonight, there are others, is causing offense to others. Causing offense to others. Matthew 5, 21, 24, I'll just read it to you. It says, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Picture this scene. You're at the altar. You are about ready to give your offering to a holy God. And you remember that somebody has something, that you have wronged someone and you haven't made it right with them, they're saying it's more important to you to back away from that offering and go make it right. Go make it right so that your offering to God will be acceptable and holy as it's intended to be. Why is this important? It's important because as Romans 14, 13 teaches, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather Determine this. This is Paul writing this, and he says, Determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. If you have wronged someone and you have not repented to them for it, you're placing a stumbling block in their way for their relationship with the Lord. It's important that we recognize this. So let's pray repentance over causing offense to others. Father God, we repent of any offense that we may have caused to someone else. And Father, we we ask you right now that you would highlight those people that we need to go ask for their forgiveness. And whether that person is somebody we can just turn to or that person has passed away or that person, we don't even know where they live anymore. Father, you know the strategy for us to make it right. And so we ask you, Lord, show us. How do we make it right with this person? How do we make it right? Father, we repent of placing a stumbling block in the way of your children and their relationship with you. We ask for your forgiveness as we will ask for theirs. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we close up, I want to let you know something about deliverance. Whenever you do this and whenever you are driving out demons, whether, you're, whether it's, it's anger or hatred or whatever demon spirit is that you're dealing with, whenever we drive this out, it is important that we fill our house, our spiritual house, with the Holy Spirit of God, that place where the demons vacate. We kick them out of our living room. It's important then to fill that house And Scripture talks about it in Luke 11, 14 to 26. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite theologians, actually crystallizes that scripture with this statement. He says, the house is swept, but it's not washed. The heart is not made holy. Sweeping takes only off the loose dirt. 
while the sin that besets the sinner, the beloved sin, is untouched. It's not enough simply to say the words of repentance. We need to wash our hearts with the blood of Jesus. So let's pray that, the cleansing blood of Jesus. Father God, we just pray that those things that you have identified in our lives, the unrepentant sin, the unforgiveness, whatever it is that's hindering our relationship with you, Lord God, we repent of that. We cancel the assignment of any demon spirits that have been inhabiting our spirit. And Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to just infill us to the point where there's no room for anything that is not of you. Father, we want all of you. And we want the cleansing blood of Jesus over us now so that we can be made pure and holy in your sight. Father, we pray that over us and over our household, over our children, over our relationships. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So, I was gonna call the worship team up. They're already up. Check, don't have to do that. (coughs) Church, there are people who say deliverance ministry is not biblical. They say it's fear-based, or they might say that there's nowhere in the Bible where it mentions deliverance ministry. Church, you have just been through a deliverance session. That's what it looks like. Was there anything that was taught that you feel was maybe not biblical? Nothing that wasn't Father God's heart for you and for us corporately. If you feel that way, I would love to talk to you after service because we have a very strong and an excellent deliverance ministry here at the church. It's called Sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's a Greek word. It translates as saved, healed, and delivered. And that's a very important part of what we do here. In fact, so much so that in two weeks, probably two weeks, it's either going to be July 13th. You have to stay tuned. So we're trying to narrow down a date. July 13th, or I think it's July 20th, Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here, I'm going to do a corporate deliverance session, which means all of us at once, anybody who wants to come. We don't have a sign-up sheet, just come. But watch our social media, watch our our boards out there for the actual date. It'll be at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning, either the 13th or the following Saturday. And we can go much more in-depth into what deliverance is and the different aspects of it. But here's what's important to know. A good deliverance ministry helps you hear from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and minimizes as much as possible human interpretation. Meaning as a deliverance minister, it's not my job to tell you what the Holy Spirit is telling you. It's my job to lead you to where you ask the right questions to hear from the Holy Spirit yourself because there's nothing more powerful than hearing that rhema word directly from God. Amen? And then the final thing, just before I dismiss into communion, don't lose sight of really what matters. What matters is not the battle. What matters is not the demons. We are not to focus on them. Be aware, yes, be aware of the battle we're in, but our focus should be on Jesus and his power and his cleansing blood, his atonement for our sins. That is where our focus needs to be. And it's through that that we have ultimate victory over the demons. Amen? So we're going to dismiss into communion right now. If you're new here or or it's been a while, we do communion a couple ways. We have at the crosses, each side, we have bread and juice and gluten-free crackers. And you just dip into the juice and take it yourself. You can serve yourself or your family. Up front here, we've got wine and bread and crackers. And Gabe and I would love to serve you up front if that's what you would like. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. We invite you whether you are a member or not. The only requirement is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you are not, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the word says it's very simple to do. There's not a list of to-dos. You simply need to accept what Jesus has done for you. Declare that he is your Lord and Savior. Believe that he was risen from the dead. And the word says you will be saved. That is a prayer that you could pray now, a decision that you could make now. We have a prayer team in the back. If you want somebody to talk that over with you, they are back there. They will pray that through with you. But for everyone else, let's take communion and celebration 
of what Jesus Christ has done for us, to give us ultimate victory over anything the enemy can throw at us. Thank you, church. Again, 
shall come with trumpets down. Who may I then in him be found? Just in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before. 